This is the No Flamingo Hockey Podcast brought to you by Sheeny & Co. We're your hosts, Cal Wild, T-Bone, and producer Danny. All right, boys, here we are. We're back. Uh, another episode of No Flamingo Hockey Podcast. And uh, the nerves are running a little bit, I can tell you. We're all, we're all looking at each other a little bit like, hey, let's not screw this up. Three very important words. We are live. We're doing this thing. One take for better or for worse. Um, and it's because we've got a really special guest and a really, really special episode. Um, before we get to that, let's just quickly go around the table, uh, catch up with the whole team here, the No Flamingo Hockey family. Big Daddy Danny, how you doing? What's new and exciting? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, just because I want to get over to our guests as, as soon as possible because I do want to hear more and spend some more air time there. I'm still Big Daddy Danny. Uh, my daughter is alive <laughs> and well. She's doing great. She's she's reaching at things now. But, uh, you know, that's just that's where we're going. Um, yeah, that's, 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 that's it for me. Work Love is it. work. Life is life. Baby is baby. I'm learning. We got to get you back on the ice. I need, I need more. Uh, we need more big, big hockey, Danny. We'll get you back on the, uh, oh, yeah. on the rink oh, next yeah. year. We'll get some more of that cracking. Uh, Cal, big, uh, big Cal. How you doing, buddy? What's new and exciting? Yeah, buddy. Uh, much the same. Life is very exciting, but at the same time, the week by week, day by day hasn't changed a whole lot. Um, what can I say? Finish the wellness challenge. Uh, it's with, I don't know, glowing colors. I don't, what do we even say? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you how you feeling after that though? energy's up uh people saying i'm look, looking a bit thin so i don't know if that's a compliment or not but uh yeah i don't know my mind feels refreshed uh, i really enjoyed the honestly the reading and getting outside uh part of it so i encourage any of our listeners to you know find the time to to do so um but yeah i uh other than that no, life's good man life is good and you gotta be coy cal i know they your most favorite part was those selfies that you were taking every day for your boys the selfies <laughs> were, were very entertaining yeah so uh, yeah they, they said they said one selfie a day you're snapping maybe 10 20 is what yeah. we're hearing oh there's different profiles right so. <laughs> you're working filters you had lighting um no I'm, I'm glad you survived no uh no surprise you're the athlete of the of the gang here so uh no surprise to hear you did it we're kind of jumping into like a really quick review here um so i'll just kind of Quickly update our listeners. Uh, some sad news off the hop. The Man Rockets are no more. We've been uh, officially annihilated in the playoffs. We were doused, uh, absolutely crushed. We found out actually a couple members of the team that annihilated us are actually listeners of the pod, which was absolutely super cool. Um, so I had a chance after these guys uh, took us to task. They were uh, kind enough to come over, say what's up, shake a hand, and uh, you know, it, it was great. It was awesome. Got some interaction. So we'll be back next year. But uh, yeah, we got just absolutely bundled by that team. So good job. Union Chicken. We lost to a team called Union Chicken. So there you go. We're done. Um, let's get back to uh, the important stuff here. So we mentioned we got a really important guest, a uh, really special episode. We're going to go back a bit. Cal had mentioned uh, he's got connections to a really special Canadian hockey family, uh, former teammates of his. Uh, one of which uh, was working on a super important project, passion project uh, that we did reference. It's essentially ready to go. And uh, I want to throw it over to Cal to uh, queue up his buddy here, who, who's our guest and is going to take us on a, quite an exciting journey here. Cal, go for it. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, we've been 
we've been teasing, I guess you could say, uh, this, we knew it was in the works. Um, we were, we were excited to, uh, you know, we've had everybody on our roster of guests from the tough heavyweights to the skilled guys, to the goalies, to, you know what I mean? We had a, a bonus, a little bit of footage from a commissioner. Um, we're excited <laughs> to, uh, like you said, this is a, an ex teammate, uh, not ex past teammate of mine, um, a, a friend of mine and, uh, an author, you know what I mean? So like you said, it's been a, a passion project, something that, uh, you know, this, this episode might get intense for all the, the right reasons. And we're excited to, uh, welcome Wade Davison, uh, to the pod today. So, uh, you know, ex teammate, oh, I keep saying ex, I hate that, but Davey, okay. welcome, happy to have you. And, uh, yeah, tell us about, uh, I think the timing is right with what you got going on. So let's, uh, let's hear from you. Boys really appreciate you having me. I am now officially a fan of no flamingo hockey. It is I'm subscribed. It is on my roster of pods to listen <laughs> to, um, but appreciate you shout me out and bringing me on right now to talk about the book. Um, as you guys have referenced, I've, I've been working on a book about my brother, Todd's life. He passed away in 2006. He was an incredible hockey player growing up, an incredible person. He ended up passing away from cancer, a rare, rare form of cancer when he was 20 years old. Um, but after he died, I just knew he had so much to his life that what I thought was absolutely remarkable, incredible. And I, I knew the stories would just ring so true to so many different people. And it was so much, so much of it was unseen. So I've spent the last decade plus working on this book. It is finally ready to go. April 19th, it is coming out available on Amazon. It's going to be available by ebook, paperback, hard copy, and then a little bit down the road, it's going to be by audio, uh, audio as well. So I'm so pumped. This is finally ready to go. Several rewrites and so many, so many years and tears, pounds of pounds of tears on these pages. And I am so pumped that it's finally here. Oh, dude. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like 10 years of your life working on something so important, so close to you. Um, we're going to get into it. We want to hear some of these amazing stories. Um, but I think a really cool place to start is like, did you ever in your life think you were going to dedicate such a chunk of your life to, to writing a book? Like how foreign was the the concept of, cause you grew up as a hockey player. And we're going to get into that too, like playing in the WHL and teammate of cows. And did you ever think you'd be spending this amount of time writing a book and, and how did it feel when you're all done? I, you know, I always wanted to write a book. Um, I've kind of always had that, just the ability to, the, the, um, the want to express myself. And I've kind of been, you know, involved in many different books throughout my years, loved reading loved the way they impacted me. I knew I was going to write this book at some point. I did not know it was going to take this much work and this much time. So yeah, you know, years ago, I'm like, Oh, I remember when I first uh, ran the concept by one of the guys that I knew was in the publishing world years ago, you know, I was a few beers deep at a social and I'm like, you know, I'm going to write a book about Todd's life. And I could see his eyes kind of glaze over and that the nod come like, Okay, bud. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes in a couple of years. But uh, so, you know, I've, I knew it was going to happen at some point. I did not know it was going to take 10 plus years and I did not know it was going to take this much work. So couldn't tell you how excited I am that it's finally done and ready and that, I, you know, the, the finalized copy is here and ready to be ready to be put out. So something, you know, that you, you talk, we talked about maybe off air, but the emotions, you know what I mean? It's, it's everywhere. It's, it's highs, lows, it's, it's happy. It's sadness. Of, of course it's, it's happiness, I guess it's been part, I'm sure part of your healing process. Um, but I, th I thought one thing that you said was very neat was that, yes, it's a, it's a story about that's, I guess with the, the roots and the foundation in hockey, but it's, it's more of a, a life story, you know what I mean? And there's some life lessons uh, within the context and just how 
I think you were just stressing on the fact that it's let's not just dwell on the, the sadness, right? Like there's there's so many other uh, emotions that come from it. So that that was the main reason why I wanted to write the book is because I, I saw year after year when Todd's anniversary of his death would come, you know, there, there'd be that somberness and sadness and it would be, you know, everyone would cheers and say a few words, but it was very much a, what I would refer to as like a low vibration state where there wasn't a lot of celebration. There, there wanted to be celebration, but there wasn't. And I felt that I didn't want to live that life. I didn't want to live that cycle over and over again. And I knew that by telling some of these stories and instead of dwelling on the fact that he lived a 20 year life and died early, I wanted to live, celebrate the fact that he lived an incredible life packed with so much love and emotion and um, just energy for, for what we have here, this mystery of life. And so I, I wanted to flip it and turn it from a sad story, a story about death to a story about living life in this moment while we have it. Um, and you know, I, I think, I, I don't know if I mentioned it yet. The book is called his last shift, the playbook of Todd Davison. And this is all about, playing your last shift, living your last day, not knowing when, you know, if we're going to have another day, you know, today is the anniversary of Humboldt Broncos bus crash, mm -hmm. uh, bus crash years ago. And those boys bo boarded the bus that day. They did not, they, them and their families probably did not foresee the fact that they would be leaving this world early. And it's, but when we, when we realize that we don't know, tomorrow's not guaranteed. When we realize that we have, we have nothing except this moment here and now that's when life can really become fun and intensified. And it's, that's what it's all about. That's when the energy of life happens in this moment. And when we can appreciate that and be grateful for our breath and our life and everything we have, that's when, that's when the fun begins. That's amazing. That's so awesome. we, we've talked about you and me being teammates, you know, uh, at, in the, in the sizzler, you know, at, at school, which was uh, a, a great ride, but let's uh, you know, fun fact is that I guess, our first introduction was with me and Todd being teammates back on that, that summer super team that we all played for the Mustangs. And, and uh, I think that's a good place to maybe jump in with some of the stories from uh, just how good of a, a prospect uh, Todd was at, uh, I guess, what's the word you like to describe him with his height? Uh, just like a, a miniature figure, you know what I mean? He's, like he was a short dude. I was small, but he was smaller. Was than it me. vertically challenged? Is that the term? <laughs> That works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he was, he was always like the tiniest kid growing up, basically yeah. the run to the litter. Um, but he was just like this feisty, fearless kid getting into hockey. You know, he started young, like buzzing around the ice, three, four years old. And as he, as he grew older, he was still the smallest guy, but he's still one of the best players. And it's like, he was like that little like French bulldog that doesn't realize how small they are. And they're challenging the bear type thing. I don't know if you guys have seen that video, but he was that kid that just thought he was, he was as big as everyone else at the very least he played as big. Uh, so he, he had this incredible talent that was, you know, it wasn't quite hindered by his size, but his size was always this major obstacle they had to overcome. And so, you know, he was, not only was he smaller than everyone else, he was being age advanced playing against guys a year older and he was still mm. just battling like crazy. But despite his tiny size, he was just like an incredibly talented player, incredibly quick, had great puck skills, great shot. And he just found a way to thrive and step up his game at every age and every year and really just, you know, advanced. And when he was playing with Cal with the Mustangs there, that was, I think you guys started playing around nine years old. Uh, he really started to step up his game on the national stage international stage as well. I recall one tournament was down in Minneapolis for the Minnesota hockey festival, which is a pretty big deal. It kind of goes, it's one of those legendary tournaments along with like the Edmonton brook brick and the, you know, Vancouver, the, the Quebec, Quebec and Pee -wee. 
Yeah. 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 Uh, Vancouver Can-Am Super Series and all that. So he went down to that Minneapolis tournament and absolutely lit it up. And one of the secondary purposes of running that tournament is the directors pick a North American all-star team and they send them over to Europe and they play a bunch of European teams. That particular year, the 1986 team was going and 85 team was going. And he was basically the, the directors told my parents after the, after he was invited to make the team that he was basically the first pick for, throughout the entire tournament. There was like 26 teams um, in his, in that, in his age group. So, you know, you, you do those numbers if he's, he's that young, that small, and he's being, he's being pumped up to be that, that um, right at the top very early. And so they went over and played in that North American selects team. Actually, I played as well with my age group, but he played and he lit it up. It was like four goal game after four goal game. You know, he'd have an off night where he'd score two or one type thing, but uh, just <laughs> my, se- fun- my season total. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so just like, like a phenomenally talented young player um, that was had an incredibly bright future. And he, every year that he played, he just stepped up his game more and more. Yeah. Well, it, it, to add humor to a little, a little bit to this, here I go fumbling my words again, but here to add a little bit of humor, do you think there was any chance that uh, you were on the team because he was there and it was kind of like a buy one, get one? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I was actually, so the invite, came, <laughs> the invite came to him, which we knew he was going to get. And you know, as much as I wanted to, I was kind of like that bubble guy. And they actually, it was an expensive trip. So they, my invite only came through the fact that another kid, his family couldn't afford to send him. So it was basically like a pity invite that I got to tag along, which I was super pumped about, obviously, but I felt, felt, felt bad for the other kid, but I was really pumped to go. And it turned out to be an incredible journey for us, our, you know, our career together and our family. And it was, it was amazing to go over there and, and see him in action, just absolutely put on a light show for those uh, European fans and players. You know, they probably looked at him and was like, Holy shit, this kid's, this kid's like, going to be the next big Canadian prospect coming up. That's how good he was. And that's how good he was performing at that young age. That's wild. And so who catches up again, Cal, and uh, who was on this like super team? Was that like the, uh, the Revo and the Barker team you were talking about? Or is that my, am I off on that? That would be the winter season. So Uh, Todd was a shark and I was a, I was a, a monarch. So my super team, (laughs) and I did bring this for for the podcast, just so you know, Ooh, ooh, ooh. Tell the, tell the listeners what you're showing us there. I'm sure I'm showing a triple uh, a peewee monarchs championship hat original, ooh. you know? So, but I think, I think of note in that season and Wade, correct me if I'm wrong was yes, we had the super team with Cam Barker for uh, a future third round pick. I don't think he won the MVP that year though. He did not. And this is, this is an incredible story that talks about Todd's talent is as good as Barks was. And, you know, he, he ended up taking home the top defenseman award. Todd was the guy who was, a, you know, at least a foot taller than Barks staying in the middle with the MVP trophy. So, you know, he, but the year season before he was age advanced and played Pee Wee triple a with, with my age group team uh, came on, he was still lighting the league up, but then the next year he stayed back down in his own age group and just absolutely dominated the league enough to be named MVP beyond guys like Barks, Dustin Boyd, and all the other, you know, NHL prospects that were really coming up. And there were that's, a lot of, a lot of guys hard to do. Like normally the winning team gets the MVP, you know what I mean? So that's, uh, that's really hard to do. I, I don't, yeah, I, I'm surprised I got passed over, but to be honest, uh, no, that's, it was <laughs> amazing. Like, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. That was just one of the things like obviously playing with Todd growing up until those AAA years, like in the summer, I knew who he was. And it was one of those things like, okay, Davison's on the ice. 
get somebody out there and, you know, and stand next to them. Literally, that's what the coaches were instructing us at the time to do, right? So that's when my role was established in my whole hockey career. So yeah. <laughs> protect that kid and get out of his way. Like, so, so what was his game? Like, obviously super skilled, but is he like just wheeling through kids and finishing? Is he like the, the pass off guy setting everybody up with like a hundred assists? Like, what was his game? He kind of had it all. And one of my buddies described him as like, he was a skilled shit disturber. He was kind of mm. like that Theo Fleury type guy where he was just like running around. He'd be like slashing your calves, chirping you, but then he'd score the game winner type thing. Or, you know, making beautiful play, beautiful plays, drawing guys in. Once when guys, when he was getting shadowed, he'd have two or three guys on him. He would suck them all in, dish a pass cross ice, like very much capable of making whatever play needed to be made, whether it was a snipe, whether that was like a dish off, um, he had, he kind of had the total package except that size. Mm -hmm. Like we fans, and maybe this is a wrong comparison, you know what? And we'll say like, it. He's I know like a Marner, say. like yeah. Marner skill, but as tough as, I don't know, Simmons and like played as gritty as that. Like, you know what I mean? It was like the perfect mix, but again, lacking, lacking the size, but yeah, his, his skill was, and his speed was just phenomenal is, is what I, vividly remember right so um i, I remember <laughs> we hit uh todd and wade's dad was was our coach through uh through mustangs and uh i remember we did this drill it was like early on to kind of teach us nine-year-olds the concept that the puck moves faster than um a player so like let's pass the puck and so i think they put one of our guys on like the red line and said okay start skating and what beats you to the other end took a slap shot and sure enough the puck beat him down there and then they did the same thing with todd and i think he might have beat the puck and it's like <laughs> okay no 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 we need to back you up to the blue line to kind of to show it to test the uh to, to to for the lesson i guess you can say right but uh yeah that, it's, it's that a, might be a little bit of a stretch but uh, i will say when, when he was playing like adam double when he was playing Adam double A, he had one of his teammates was Joe Barnes. Joe Barnes went second overall in the Western League draft behind only Kyle Chipchura. I think he went at second round to the Carolina, Hur Carolina Hurricanes uh, years later. But Barnes was a fast kid and a big kid with a powerful stride. And in any any given foot race, any given speed drill, Todd would still beat him. And Barnes, he was like so rattled. He would come off the ice as like an 11-year-old kid, just so, so shaken. Because as, as hard as he tried, he could not outskate Todd. So that's kind of the speed he had just as this little, little... You know, just guy flying around the ice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, let's keep, uh, so that's kind of like the young version. Um, so what happens next? Keep, keep walking us through. I'm loving this. Next, next year, he goes up to Bantam. Um, he ends up getting drafted in the eighth round to the Western Hockey League's Regina Pats. And that was kind of an unforeseen event because the Western League back in those days, early 2000s, was a man's league, like filled with guys that were absolute monsters. Mm -hmm. And if you were under, under a certain height or a certain size, most scouts weren't even looking at you. You were just crossed off the list. And somehow, and to put it in perspective, Nigel Dawes, the year before, he's Nigel Dawes in 85, Dawes in 86. Dawsey was an absolute stud. He was a little shorter, a little stockier. He didn't go until the fifth round of that year's draft. Next year, he makes Kootenai Ice and he blows up the league. Year after that, he's you know he's winning Memorial Cups with with Kootenai Ice. Goes on to lead like the World Junior Tournament, Team Canada. A couple of years later, he was that talented. But he didn't go into the fifth round. So surprisingly, Todd got sniped. He got picked in by the Pats. Um, one of those scouts in Winnipeg just saw you know he was following Todd's game for years. He knew the he knew the talent Todd had, but he more importantly he saw the size of Todd's hockey heart, and that's kind of had to sell it because most scouts were like, "No, this guy's got to go to college. He's not going to survive in the Western League, let alone thrive. He's got to go to college." And mm -hmm. but Todd's heart was just set on going to the dub. 
Um, so that was kind of where he was. He got drafted and he was so pumped. Uh, and he, you know, he went to camp and he started like, just started lighting up doing his thing and, and really made a name for himself very fast. So he went on to play. Um, he went to camp that year, made a good name for himself. I was actually yeah. also going to the Pats list. I was not drafted myself in one of the most devastating days of my youth. Yeah. Uh, I thought I was going to go in like the mid to late rounds. I, one of the scouts actually gave me a hat. So I figured like, okay, if, if I don't go in the mid rounds, I'll go late rounds to this team. I come home from school that day. This is, these are in the days of dial up internet and I'm <laughs> scrolling through the results as it's like loading, loading so horrendously slow. And like, as the ninth, 10th, 11th round they're coming, I'm just like, Oh boy, like just absolutely <laughs> rocked and just so distraught. Oh. Uh, but I got invited to almost every Western league camps after uh, teams camp after that. And after, you know, sifting through all the options, I loved Regina's team. We had relatives there. They were hosting the Memorial cup. They had some great guys on their team and you know, Barrett Jackman, Garth Murray was playing a few other boys. Um, so I decided to go to the Pats camp and, you know, basically tried to make a name for myself. The next year, Todd got drafted by the Pats. And then we ended up going to camp together and kind of started making our name, uh, our names for ourselves in that organization enough to be able to, uh, you know, get on, get on their list and That's eventually sick. make the team. Yeah. That's yeah, unreal. Awesome. So a couple of questions. So the hat that the scout gave you, did you look down and in horror realize it was just a monarch's hat? You're like, God <laughs> damn it. This, this is no good. Um, but, but more importantly, like you, you and your bro getting to go and, you know, here you are playing like your whole lives together and WHL, like that's, that's like exclusive elite company. Mm-hmm. And you're going off with your brother to play hockey. Like that just doesn't really happen unless you're a Sedin twin. Um, so just kind of like walk us through, like, what's the feeling there? Are you guys kind of like, pinch me this can't really be real or is it just like fuck let's just go keep doing what we're doing like like what's what's the vibe when you're heading to camp together yeah we had no expectations at all and just to, to take it a step back we played peewee AAA together for that one season and then we played midget AAA another you know a couple of years later when todd was age advanced again uh at that year you know we, we both are end up going to regina that that next year and i i was a 17 at that point i thought i was having a decent chance of making the team we thought Todd was just going to be too small. We thought he was going to be a 16 year old sent home. Um, but you know, typical him, he just goes in there every day at camp and he's fighting his way. He literally fought his way in camp. I remember coming to, came to a scrimmage early, went to grab my sticks, tape them up. I was going to be like, Oh, I'll go watch some of his game. And I come through the tunnel at the Agrodome and he's like fixing his helmet, fixing his straps and his gear. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, oh, I just fought. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, how'd you do? And he's like, oh, good. Like I won. Like he's just, so he's, he was that mentality of, you know, he's, he's not going to let his size be a factor and he's, you know, he was going to fight his way. So every day at camp, we just kept on putting our heads down, battling, battling our way. And at the end of camp, when the contracts were signed, he was, he was there 16 year old kid, smallest player in the entire league in a Mm. league full of absolute studs Uh, to give you some context there. That year was like Duncan Keith, Shea Weber, uh, (laughs) you know, guy, big game today that retired Ryan Getzlav, Dustin Bufflin, Joffrey Lupul. Big Brett Dion. Seabrook. Yeah. Big Dion Phaneuf was in Red Deer. Uh, tons of guys. You know, um, Scotty Upshaw was there in Kamloops still. Christopher Stieg. So I, and that's just a few of the boys that, that were like tons of guys ended up making the show out of that league. So it was a packed league loaded with talent. And he was there just, you know, just the, the def- like just the defensemen alone that you just named off, like Team Canada legends that you're just rhyming off. Like that's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Like I don't know how you get like, how big this kid's jock must have been to hold the hold the cojones in there to get on the ice with these guys when you're like <laughs> undersized and relying on skill like to wheel around like 
were there some tough learnings? Like, was he getting blown up or was it just kind of like he was hard to hit and he didn't really suffer that much out there? You know, he was, he found a way to avoid the big hits. I, I never remember him getting blown up at all. He was, he was had to battle really hard to get any sort of room on the ice. And there was no room those days, like to get any sort of chance on net, you mm. had to really be, have something good to happen um, or some big place to happen there. But he would be, he'd still be battling in the corners. Like it didn't matter if the guy was like six, nine. Uh, I recall one night in we're playing a game against Moose Jaw and he's in the corner along the boards. And all of a sudden he like, he gets in this little shoving match. I don't know if he cross-checked uh, one of the big defensemen on the, on the Warriors. I think Lane Manson was his name, six, nine. Uh, all of a sudden, next thing you know, line brawl starts. So he was the kind of guy that would like stir it up to the point that a full out five on five, actually <laughs> six on six line brawl would be going on. And that was just kind of the way he played. He didn't think much of it. Like he just grinded his way. That's unbelievable. I got, I got to bug you for one of the stories you were telling us off air. Can I, can I jump on that? You had, a, you had a good one about a, about a tussle that uh, I think you jumped in to help him out there. You, you know which one I'm talking about? Well, yeah, there's a couple different ones. First one, <laughs> that, that particular moose jaw fight uh, when he stirs it up, the big boys are going at it. We had, we had a guy on our team named Jack Redlick, who was just a monster and the warriors like a tough guy. Yeah. He, and the warriors had a guy named uh, Derek England. If you've ever heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep. so a couple so times. Todd, Todd starts the fight I'm I'm just like all of a sudden I'm shed my gloves are shed I'm looking for a black you know a guy the guy's in a black jersey and I find the first guy who's kind of bent over one of our our guys trying to give him some some big punches and I just start punching the guy in the back of the side of the head as hard as I can <laughs> three four punches and all of a sudden in the corner of my eye I see the ENG of the England last name and I was like <laughs> Oh boy. Oh. Like this is not good. And so at one point the refs come over they're like, you guys just wrap it up. You got nothing. And England like picks me up from the back of my Jersey and starts just throwing uppercuts as hard as he can. And I block them with my elbow pads. And as, as the, it wasn't quite a turtle, I'm not going to say that I turtle against England, but it was like, no shame, I was, no I was not looking to go, you know, throwing blows with him. I've, I've never been so pumped in my life to see the linesman come around. Like I can see the, the linesman black pants scoop around. And I basically, as soon as they separate us, I sprinted to the penalty box and got that thing locked up as quick as I could. So that was the first one. Another nice. big one was we we're playing uh, medicine at tigers. And that's when Barker was playing for them. Bunch of the other boys were playing as uh, Stefan Meyer. Remember him Lupo. I think Lupo may have still been there at that. I think he was still there. Um, Clark MacArthur, they were loaded up, but I was you know, battling. Clark. Yeah. He's a beauty. Actually, his parents end up building me years later. I'll tell you that later on, but um, that particular night I'm battling on the boards, kind of the neutral zone by the red line. And I get rocked from behind by this little rat who is like a fourth line you know, guy pops me. And all of a sudden, next thing I know I'm on the ice, Todd drops his gloves and starts punching this guy. And before I knew it, I was just, I popped up and I'm not going to let, Todd go toe, toe to toe with this guy. So I, I dropped my gloves and we're both throwing punches at the same guy's face. So it's basically a two on one fight. <laughs> it's the bash brothers. There. <laughs> Which Two on one doesn't quite fly in the Western hockey league, let alone any junior league. Um, anyway, Todd was the smallest player to wear a Pats Jersey. The biggest guy to ever wear a Pats Jersey. One of them was a guy named Derek Bugart, the boogeyman. Oh, yeah. uh, only problem that night is he was wearing a medicine hat tigers Jersey. So I don't, I didn't, I wasn't there to see what happened, but apparently he charged across the neutral zone to try to grab me. And in some miraculous way, I, he ended up tripping over my back and his size, like 14 skates sliced the back of my numbers open right across. So Holy long story short into the fight, 
Uh, we're both in the dressing room and I'm, I take off my strap, my strap down. I look at the Jersey and it's just sliced right across. And Todd and I look at each other like, Oh boy. Like I just got away with a big one. It's like a shark that missed its meal. <laughs> but I remember, the tra- I remember the trainer after the game, he's like, you gotta be, you gotta be aware of who's on the ice. Like what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? Boogeyman's out there. You're starting the shit. The trainer. <laughs> yeah. The trainer's hacking a dart and giving you shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only reason Todd really jumped, jumped the guy like he did is earlier on the season that we were playing the Saskatoon blades and I got absolutely pumped. Like this guy, uh, Derek Couture had me over the Saskatoon blades bench and was just stroking me repeatedly in a quasi line brawl. (laughs) Todd didn't want to embarrass me. So he wanted to let me go, even though I was just getting pumped and the trainer's like, what are you doing? It's a line brawl. You gotta, you gotta do something. So after that, he kind of snapped out of it and was like, all right, I'm going to, if that happens again, I'm going to fight or do something. So there it was a few months later against the Tigers. That's amazing. That's awesome, dude. You survived. We've had a couple of awesome stories. Like we had, uh, was it Peluso was on and he accidentally fought Chara in the minors. He didn't know who the hell it was. And then you're out here like dodging Derek Englund and the boogeyman. That's uh, yes. Jesus boys. Like, yeah, you know what? I'm kind of siding with the trainer now. Like have a, have a quick look around and uh, maybe fake sick on those shifts when those guys are out there. Well, the guy so, who's the on- guy that. Sorry, go ahead, Colin. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Davey. As you said, the guy that jumped in and grabbed Bugard, who basically saved my life, his name was Jordan Clark. He was a he was a tough, tough dude. He the only reason I'm I'm still my face is still intact is because of him. But <laughs> it was a it was a good enough play where I gave him a shout out in the book. So at least I made up for it there that many years later of of seeing, you know, that I put his life really in in a dangerous place with the, the boogeyman throwing bombs at him. He's got to get a signed copy for that. He's earned it, buddy. He's earned it. Clarky, it's coming. <laughs> no, I was going to say, so you're talking about all these guys you're playing against. Who's on your team at this time in Regina? Like, who are you guys uh, teammates with? So uh, the big names, uh, unfortunately, I don't think he was playing that game was Colt Nor, NHL heavyweight, mm. one of the toughest all-time enforcers I've ever seen. Absolute probably, beauty. Probably could have used him out there that night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, everyone was playing a little taller when Orzi was on the ice, but he was, he was one of our boys from Winnipeg. We grew up with him, seen him play. And then I remember when they, the Pats traded for him, it was like Todd and I looked at each other, just so pumped. We were so happy that he was coming. One is our buddy, but two is just, you know, an absolute heavy. So we had Orzi and then another big name is Rick Rippon. Rest in peace. Uh, he was an mm-hmm. absolute oh, yeah. pound is as tough as or was Rippon was pound for pound. I think tougher than or he was absolute, he, he could destroy guys with like six punches at once. Yeah. He was uh, like a machine. He had like the machine gun delivery. I remember it, it was wild. Yeah. So, so we had Rippon there and Rippon could also score and dangle too. Like he would, he would rip through the entire ice, uh, all the boys. And, you know, I remember this one time he, he skated through like three or four guys and had a backhand snipe posting in from the high slot. It was incredible. Could have been WHL goal of the year, hmm. but we had that kind of talent. Uh, we had Matt Hubber who did not make the show, but he made it up to the A and he played over in Europe a little bit. Um, making the cut years and years ago, he was on that show. One of the guys, um, but he was, he was one of the most talented players to ever not make the NHL that I've played with and seen. And then uh, one other big name would be Josh Harding, the Minnesota wild goalie for many years. Good, good guy. I hear great guy. Well, you know, he's, I haven't talked to him in, in uh, actually, I haven't talked to Harden since that season. So it would be 20 years ago, but he was an interesting cat back then. Classic goalie, um, you know, an, a little bit of an odd duck. A uh, funny story you boys might appreciate is that he had gone through a breakup before that 2002, 2003 season Ooh. and whoever the gal was really like, you know, hit his heart hard. So, you know, obviously the boys before the game, you're listening to the music getting pumped up. And then in the intermissions, there's no music, you know, it's just kind of 
you get your game plan, you're chatting, you're getting fired up. But Harding would have this like Sony CD player. This is before iPods and all that stuff. <laughs> Sony CD player, Sony headphones with the foam. And he'd be cranking this like Rascal Flats breakup song so loud that the entire room could hear it. And it was like hilarious and awkward and sad all at the same time. It was, like the boys would be looking around like, I don't Rascal know. If they- Flats. <laughs> oh, that's a good hard story for you. And, you know, I I'll, I'll, don't mean to embarrass them, but that was just funny looking back on those days because there was like 80 games that we had to deal with that shit all season long. It was. <laughs> oh, he went the whole season. Whole season, yeah, every game, yeah, yeah. He he took a break for Team Canada World Juniors there for a while, so he was he was phenomenally talented. But he had uh, an odd pregame and pre-period pump-up song. Oh, that's awesome! That's amazing, dude. I love that. Um, what about Orzy? Like, what's Orzy like? And you said that you grew up with him. You know him obviously really well before, like on and off the ice. What's he like? Just kind of teammate vibe in general. Like, what's he like? Even like away from the rink when the boys are all going out. Like, I'm just curious yeah. about that kind of stuff. He's such a good dude, man. He's got the biggest heart when, uh, you know, he would be, when I scored my first wrestling goal, uh, I basically smacked it in like not just a gr- absolute grinder goal, but Orzy was the first one up like, Hey bud, what do you want to drink? I'm, I'm buying you a case of beer tonight. Uh, nice. and he was nice the guy boy. that would just be like, he was such a humble, great guy that would just be down to hang out and chat and, and just absolutely loved having him. And he loved Todd too. Like they, they were just buddies, you know, like the smallest guy in the team, biggest guy in the team. Uh, he liked them enough that, you know, when the boys were going out, the older vets, twenties and nineteens, when they're going out to the casino or going out to, you know, have a good time, they'd give Todd a call and, you know, pick him up and have Todd be their chauffeur, drive him around. So uh, one good story you boys might like is that one night, I guess Orzy and the boys wanted to go to the casino. And so they obviously junior hockey players typically aren't allowed in the casino in a town they're playing in, especially in a city like Regina, where there's the paths are well-known faces, posters, yeah. everything else. So uh, I guess Orzy calls Todd, drives the truck over, gets Todd to jump in the driver's seat. Todd chauffeurs all the guys, to the casino and the boys are there. I think Todd was in the car just waiting for the, for the boys to come out, but they get caught in the casino, heating up the tables. Uh, next day we get to practice. I have no idea what's going on. I, I, I was roommates with Todd. I lived downstairs. He lived upstairs. I had no idea he was, in, he was in, even out of the house. But get to practice the next day and the coach just like gets in this like weird mood vibe changes completely. And he's like, I don't know what the fuck you guys think you can do run around this city <laughs> full hour and a half bag skate, like the worst beggar I've ever been a part of in my life. We then get shuttled onto the bus drive to red deer, however long that drive was and just got pumped like six, nothing by the rebels. Uh, but that was, that was part of the paying the price for having a good time with the boys. Worth it. Worth and it, you, dude. No. You just slept through that, though. It's just that's that's what the that sound like. You come in the next morning, like, what are we doing? What's what's with the bag skate? <laughs> Seriously, I, when the coach started the talk, I had no idea what was going on. I'm like, did something bad happen? Like, what? <laughs> who screwed us over last night? Um, last thing I'll say about Orzi, he's been very delicately dodging my very harassing Instagram messages. So uh, if you feel like throwing him a little, hey, these are good dudes. Maybe it'll uh, maybe it'll get him on, or maybe I, it'll make him just hate us more. So. Orzi is just so you know, he's a family man. Now he's got, I think he's got three kids, three beautiful kids. He's in New York. I think he's in Buffalo. I'm pretty sure he owns a team and he's, he's got a management role there. That's sick. That's awesome. awesome. He is a busy, busy dude. Uh, Do not be, do not be put off by him. Not, not getting back to you. If I ever, if I ever speak to him, no flamingo will be, your tires will be pumped hard and we'll see if I can get him on for you. That's all I ask, buddy. Hey, hats coming your way. There's the payment. Love it. 
so let's uh let's keep going so okay so you're in regina um just let's keep going down the journey what happens next yeah, so we we're basically fourth liners with the Pats. Uh, I, I played most games. Todd got healthy some of the games. I think he played forty eight games the entire season. But I mean, he's not going to be a goal scorer in that league unless you're playing the power play or getting you know first or second line ice typically. So he he really wasn't putting up any numbers. Like he wasn't scoring at all. Uh, wasn't really getting assists. But we it was the kind of league where we'd maybe get two or three shifts a period. And like I said, if a power play or penalty kill happens, you're just not seeing the ice at all. So um, he, he was kind of having a, a tough time putting up points. But later on that season was the Canada Games year, which is every four years in Canada, they have the Canada Winter Games. He gets selected to Team Manitoba, named assistant captain, Barker's captain, Todd's assistant, a bunch of other boys in that team. Dustin Boyd's there, Che Ginaway's there, um, a few other really talented guys. But he ends up going back to play for that tournament, which was in the springtime. And, you know, facing off against his own age group again, same guys that are much smaller than the Westling boys. He's got his ice time back. He's got his, his space back and he starts to find his game again. And so he had a great tournament there. Uh, really cool. A game he played was against Crosby where, uh, you know, he's going head to head against Crosby. And I have a little chapter in the book about it, but it's, you know, he was never trying to put himself on the same pedestal as Crosby, who was like from seven years old was known to be, this guy's gonna have a bright future, but I think mm -hmm. the drive and the mental attitude that Todd had, he at least wanted to, to show that he could compete with Crosby. So mm -hmm. um, after a scoreless first period, Todd put up the first goal of the game and start the second Crosby answered like a minute or two later, Todd gets an assist on Dustin's Dustin Boyd Boyd's goal. A few minutes later, Crosby answers again. Uh, Crosby ends up, ends up scoring the OT winner. I think well, Crosby had an apple and then scores the OT winner. So end of the game, you play against, one of the world's best players of all time. Crosby has two goals, one assist. Todd has one goal, one assist. So just such a cool um, event there. And, you know, one of the best things that uh, that happened after the fact was uh, Kevin Benson, head, co head coach for Team Manitoba, ended up giving our family the game sheet from that, that event. So in the book, I have the game sheet laid out um, to have the receipts on that particular game in case you want to check it out. But really nice. special, special moment there. But during that tournament, he he, for the first time ever, he took a hit. And after the game, he told my parents, he's like, you know, like my shoulder, something happened to my shoulder. Something just doesn't feel right. So no one thinks anything of it. Of course, you know, you're the smallest guy on the ice playing against big boys and hockey's a rough and tough game. So ends up heading back to Regina to finish the season off, tells the trainers, you know, something's wrong. I don't know what's going on. And having a pain in your shoulder could be absolutely anything, you know, mm -hmm. it's commonplace. Just, just waited out a couple months. Um, so he ends up finishing the year off. You know, just going back to Winnipeg that summer, just training as hard as he can. And, but he can't shake the shoulder pain. So we go back to camp that second year, our sophomore season in Regina. Uh, I, we drove separately because we, we each had our own cars. I drive out there. I have no cruise control in my truck. I come to camp, pre-camp skate, heavy, heavy legs. I think <laughs> I went like straight from the ride to the rink. And just like, I was labeled as a sluggish out of play, out of shape player right off the bat which was not so I felt phenomenal that year, but it wasn't, you know, when you have first impressions that, that don't look so good, uh, it doesn't do well for you in the end. But, um, and I ended up getting rocked in camp, really messed up my wrist to the point where I couldn't shoot. I couldn't pass. Like I could probably barely crack a junior B roster at that point. So I had my own issues going on. And then Todd, he was kind of playing, like I, I'm watching him play 
after a few months of not seeing him like battle in uh, scrimmages and I'm watching him in camp and he's like, something's just not quite right. He wasn't quite as feisty self. He wasn't battling in the corners as hard as he was. And he was playing a little more hesitant than usual, kind of guarding his shoulder, which was odd. So we're watching that happen. And then I remember after one specific uh, scrimmage coming off the ice and I look at him and he's like, his face is blue with colors all off. And he's just like having a tough time getting air in. So it was really, really strange uh, seeing that that happening. So he's telling the coaches and trainers something's wrong. No one knows what that wrong is. They at least, at the very least, you know, take him in for blood tests and stuff like that. His blood tests come back with some serious markers of concern um, to the point where I, I think a proper medical examination probably should have been like, oh shit, like we got to look, th- we got to look into this. Mm-hmm. But they they figured it was like mono or something like that, something simple. Mm-hmm. Kind of just uh, didn't think too much of it. So. That happens. And then we end up playing a couple more exhibition games against uh, Moose Jaw Warriors. And in one particular game, Todd gets absolutely pumped in a line brawl. Full line brawl breaks out. He gets grabbed by a guy who's probably 6'2", 6'3", just getting destroyed. And that's just full mayhem on the ice. I'm on the bench at this point and watching this go down. He's just getting stroked. My mom's in the crowd with our little puppy. She came up, she made the drive to watch. So she's watching her little boy just get pumped in front of her. I'm watching Todd get pumped. Fight seems to be dwindling down. So it's like, okay, the insanity is over. And then all of a sudden this guy like pulls Todd down again and starts throwing bombs again. So I kind of see red at that point. I scramble off the ice, get on the ice or scramble onto the ice, get off the gate, start skating as hard as I can towards the fight. There's like gloves and sticks everywhere. I fall, scramble up. Uh, and then the linesmen at that point, they see me and they sprint over to me as hard as they can. So I, I made it within maybe 10 feet of Todd's fight before I got scooped up by the linesmen. OBO security guards ran on the ice, hauled me off. At the very least, at least Todd's fight was stopped. But after the game, he came up into the family visiting room and his nose was just blown wide open. It, like, he had a huge cut across the bridge of his nose. Uh, his face was mangled. His eyes were like the blood vessels were all messed up. So safe to say at that point, the Davison brothers are in some, in a, in a rough shape and it wasn't looking too good for us. Um, and then without warning, all of a sudden one day turns out to be, you know, we, we go to the rink thinking, Oh, it's, it's new gear day. We're getting our new CCM gear, like the best day of the junior hockey season where get your new helmet, new gloves. So I got to jump in here. This is beyond those Nike quests. Yeah, this is so 2002, 2003 is when Nike quest was introduced to the Western league. In my opinion, the worst hockey helmet ever forced <laughs> upon a player. That next year, our sophomore season, CCM made a deal with the CHL. So we were finally getting like a decent looking bucket and, and gloves and all that. So we get to the rink and we're like, fuck yeah, like new helmet, new gloves, feeling so good. I remember snapping my visor in and like just being pumped for practice. All of a sudden, the trainer's like, Davison's, head up to Brent's office. Brent Parker's the GM of the team. We're just like, what? Like, didn't even know the guy had an office in the ring type thing. All the boys are getting ready for practice. And so we're like walking up together and we're like, well, like maybe we're getting traded. Maybe it's some sort of promotional deal. Cause they used to do some promotion stuff that we were involved in. Get up to the office and very quickly I'm called in first called in separately. I'm like, well, that's weird. We're getting called in one by one mm-hmm. called into the office, open the door head coach, two assistant coaches, general manager sitting across the table with like just, you know, blank stares. I was just like, Oh man, this is, this does not look good at all. So very quickly I was told I'm getting released. Uh, they, you know, they kind of told me they shopped around a trade, but 
middle of September at the start of a Western League season is probably not the best time to be, you know, having a trade trying to be made on, in, in, on your behalf. Uh, that said, I, so I, I get released. I come out of the office, Todd's sitting on the couch and I'm like, Hey man, I got released. And he's just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like he was so rattled when that happened. So they call him in. I didn't know what was going to happen to him. I, I, either he was staying without me or he was, it was coming with me. I wait for him. He comes out, he was released at the same time. So we came on onto the team as a, as a package deal. And we got snipped the year later as, as a package deal as well. And that changed a lot of things for us. Oh man, it's yeah, rough. No kidding. So a moment of like, yeah, what do you think? So at the time, his obviously face mangled shoulder. What's that status? Like, where's that? Yeah. So at that, that was one of the toughest parts is that he was supposed to go in for some follow-up tests. And when we both got released, those tests were basically, you know, it was just kind of like brushed away. No Mm. one, it was on no one's radar at that point. So, uh, you know, at that point, he's still only 16. He wasn't even 17 yet. He was supposed to be going back to Manitoba because of the whole hockey Canada under 18 rule. You know, you're supposed to play in your home province until you're 18. If you're going to play junior a, um, at the same time, I'm getting, my phone's getting peppered with all kinds of teams from SJ, AJ, BCHL, trying to figure out where I'm going to go. And it was just like, we had no clue what was going on. We had no clue about junior a hockey, um, and the different stuff that was going on there, where to go. So we had to start looking hard of, of where we were going to make our move to. I ended up, uh, agreeing to play for a team called the Lloydminster Blazers and the AJ. Uh, they are now, I think their name is the Bobcats now, but one of the big reasons I went to play on their team is like, listen, they're like, we know your brother's with you. We know he's supposed to be going down back to Winnipeg, but we will do everything we can to petition hockey Canada, get him on our roster and bring him on with you. So with that said, I made the trip to Lloyd Minster. Todd went back to Winnipeg. He had his petition heard by the board and they granted it. He comes out to Lloyd Minster and joins me uh, in the AJ. Nice. Okay. All right. The dream team continues on. There you go. Yeah. So we, we reunited there. It was, you know, it was a cool situation. It was quite a step down from the Western league. I'm not going to lie. Like it was, yeah. you went from, you went from having like a brand new visor given to you kind of whenever you needed it to the boys stealing your visors and replacing it with their like <laughs> scratched up shitty visors at that point. So the first day I get a, a brand new visor and then all of a sudden, like a couple days later, I'm like, Whoa, this is pretty beat up. And I'm looking around and like, I knew it got sniped from someone. It was just part of the game back then. And all of a sudden we go from using like the nice CCM one pieces to the league classic Sherwood, Sherwood two, two pieces. pieces. And so it was pretty humbling, but we had a fantastic Lloydminster community there. Our team was awesome. Like we just had, we, we started to love hockey again and love playing again. Cause that, that year before we had a really intense coach, Bobby Lowe's. He's one of the most intense coaches that the CHL has ever seen. Um, it was very tough to play for in a lot of ways. Like you, you would be fearful around the ring sometimes, but we went to Lloyd, the boys were great. The community was great. We had a lot of fun. Um, still had, you know, the hockey was still really good. It's still the AJHL. It's still one of the best junior a leagues in Canada. Um, but yeah, we started to you know, gain our love for the game back or ha- having fun with the game, fun with the boys off the ice and just played out the rest of the season there we had a good shot in the, in the playoffs. We were kind of like a middle of pack team. We, we ended up winning the first round, got knocked off in the second. Um, but it was one of those things where at the end of the year, we're just like, okay, that was fun. That was great, but let's find our way back in the dub. Mm. So we make our way back to Winnipeg and have no idea what's happening. No, no invites have come in yet, but we just start, you know, hitting the training schedule. And then thankfully within like a few weeks, I got invited to the Red Deer Rebels camp, uh, coached by Brent Sutter at the time. Todd gets invited, invited to the 
Brandon Weeking's camp, which was coached and managed by Kelly McCrimmon at the time. So it was like at that point, all right, you know, we're going to regroup, do our thing. We're going to part ways after this many years of playing together, but you know, let's get, let's both get back in the league, both do our thing. And unfortunately it was around that time where Todd's training, training with the boys, the Zajac brothers, uh, Ryan Bonney was uh, second round Vancouver Canucks draft pick. He's training with all those guys. And he's, I remember this time uh, we're in the, we're in the gym. He's doing a set of bench press and he comes up and he's got this look on it, like this grimace on his face. And he's just like, something's not right. And he's telling the trainers, um, something's not right. And my mom had been hearing this since the Canada games. Mm. So she's, so she happened to be an MRI tech at um, health sciences center in Winnipeg at the time. And she's like, you know what? We got to get you in for an MRI, which probably should have been done a year ago, but we're finally going to get you in. In Canada, it's not the easiest thing to get an MRI mm-hmm. on like a shoulder or a knee, unless, unless it's really an urgent thing. True. Yeah. So, she, so she, one day on her lunch break, she sees a gap in the schedule. There was a cancellation. She gets on the phone calls to and she's like, get down here. Now she talks to her supervisor, like, Hey, you know, can I get my son in here just for a quick scout scan? It's a seven minute scan. It's not a full MRI, but it's, it's enough to see, you know, whether you can kind of dismiss it, move on, or whether there should be further investigation. So she fires him up into the MRI machine. And within like seconds, she starts seeing the neon green tumor start lighting up. And it's like, for her, she is devastated at that point. Like, Oh my God, what, what is happening? Jeez, and that's crazy. Yeah. And so Todd is this like fidgety kid to begin with. He's never, he doesn't stop moving. He's in an MRI machine with a coil on his shoulder, creating more pain. And he, he had this electrical shock feeling. He talked about where anytime someone t- touched the top of his shoulder, he would feel these electrical shocks. So he's feeling those electrical shocks. He's in the MRI, just kind of, you know, my mom's like, Todd, you got to hold still. And he's, Pitching away. Anyway, get him out of the out of the tube, comes out, and my mom sees the images and she knows it knows it's not good. So they call the radiologist in and they're like, okay, we got to get him in for a full scan. A couple of days later, get him in for a full 30-minute, 45-minute diagnostic scan. And very quickly, the radiologists, and there was two, you know, senior radiologists at the time, they were very concerned right away. And so Todd's he goes in there thinking like, this is a hockey injury. What's going on? Is it a rotator cuff tear? Is it a slap tear? What's happening here to all of a sudden it's like, we'll get back to you type thing, you know, go home. We'll get back to you. So just for timing wise to, to frame it, he's supposed to be graduating high school in like the next couple of weeks. He's got his grad high school grad party uh, lined up five days later. And, you know, he's supposed to be just being a free loving kid, high school graduate. Yeah. You know? Having fun. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, in the, in the time, in the time frame, he has to go see his family specialist. Who's like, okay, we're going to get you to see our family doctor. Who's going to recommend him to see a, a specialist and all that, all the, all the red tape you got to go through in Canada to see a, a decent surgeon. Um, but anyway, he, the guy, the, do, the doctor who would typically be like, just, you know, see Todd as this young, healthy kid. And we just talk about hockey the entire time was like, okay, we got a serious issue now. So he refers Todd to a one Dr. McDonald. And it just so happens that Todd was going to grad that next week with a Lindsay McDonald and Lindsay's dad's named Dr. Peter McDonald. Who's one of the best surgeons in all of Canada, North America in the world. Really. Hmm. It's actually, he's the Winnipeg jets doctor. You've probably seen him on TV a bunch of times. Absolute stud of a surgeon. Right. So Todd's like driving in the car on the way home. And he's like, 
you know, is, is Dr. McDonald spelled with an, with a, is it MC or is it MAC? He's trying to figure out who is, who his doctor is going to be. Sure enough, it turns out to be Lindsay's dad. Hmm. So the girl he's going on, uh, on a date with uh, to grad in five days, her dad is appointed his new surgeon. And it was just a wild ride from there. What the hell? But, uh, one quick point that you fellows might appreciate. This is, this is where, this is some of the stories that came up where there was enough, there was enough synchronicity and, and I don't want to use the word magic, but like these situations were not just like the run of the mill situations on the day that he was going to see that family doctor to get his referral. Him and mom are driving in their car. They they turn on to the, onto the main drag and they start driving, listen to country music at the time. No, they're not saying much. And the first time they ever heard the song came on live like you were dying by Tim McGraw comes on the radio. And so you have this young kid who's just like has no idea what's happening with his life his shoulder his eyes go like my mom said his eyes were just like wide open he just froze listening to the song and she at this point is trying to like maintain her composure trying to drive straight because you know her she's on the verge of breaking down too but that song i refer to as like the universal dj came on that moment and gave todd a song there that became basically his theme song for the next two and a half years Hmm. Um, but yeah, that's so, so that's where it left off. He was, um, he was going to grad as, as this like, you know, fun loving kid. He's still having a good time with the boys and all of a sudden, um, on his convocation day. So convocations, when you actually like walk across the skate stage and get your diploma and all that, mm-hmm. the morning of the convocation, he had his biopsy schedule. So Dr. McDonald was going to bring him in, you know, take out the, the mass of cells, the tumor in his shoulder and do the biopsy on it. They removed a lot of it, but they couldn't get all of it. But so that morning biopsy happens, probably should not have been moving, but he's not going to miss his grad. So he, you know, finds a way to get going, going. My mom brings him across the city, uh, showers him up, washes his hair, you know, gets him ready, gets him dressed up, drives him back across to where the ceremony was. Barely could walk across the stage at this point. Needed both of his buddy, needed buddies on either side to, you know, limp him across the stage uh, but he made it. And that was the start of a whole new journey for him. You know, most high school graduates are on the verge of something big. And he was, he had no idea what would be coming those next days, which, you know, very quickly led to a cancer diagnosis of a very rare and serious cancer. Um, so, Hey, welcome to adulthood, man. Oh, yeah, that's heavy. like, that's heavy. That's a lot. Um, I feel bad. Like we're, we're, and, and I feel like we, we kind of let you catch your breath while you're doing all the talking, but it's, it's just such an unbelievable. And like, as just like as three Canadian kids listen to this, it's like important as hell. Right. And, uh, I know everything you're this, saying, and I'm so, I'm just like blown away. It's yeah, crazy. exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this, right. And it, it's all just like, it, it hits super close to home. And I can only imagine for Cal, like how close this hits you, you haven't been there, but, uh, it, all that to say, like, it's kind of hard to jump in and interject with anything. It's just, uh, it's it's quite a heavy story. Um, I want to, I want to let you kind of keep driving, uh, driving the bus here and take us through. Absolutely. So, um, like I said, he was supposed to be going to the weekings camp, but that instantly got put on hold. It's like, Hey, we have to hit you with five. I think it was like five or six rounds of the most aggressive chemotherapy that we have. And if this, the, the oncologist who is this very straightforward, no nonsense guy without the most be, you know bedside manner was like, if this doesn't work, nothing's going to work. Hmm. So we're just like, holy, this is really serious. Um, Fuck, eh? So 
Um, I ended up going to Red Deer. That was a really tough moment because I, I actually went to Red Deer's camp and I left taught on the front step. And, you know, every other junior hockey player is supposed to be leaving to their camp. And he's sitting there on the front step with the, what's called a pick line in his shoulder where they administered chemo through this little plastic tube, the shunt that goes into your, into your arm. Right. Um, so I, I remember we had our moment there. I went on to Red Deer, try to make the Rebels. He's sitting on the front step and he's getting hammered with some of the most hard hitting chemo that a guy could face. And, you know, kind of a wild situation there where they told him right away, like, you're not going to play hockey ever again. And he just refused to believe it. So he gets to the first round, which is okay. You know, really it, it was, it was trying, but he got through it. I went off to red deer at that point. Um, the scouts basically said like, Hey, come in good shape. And you have a really good shot at making the team. So I went out there. I was super pumped, got billed right away, which is rare. Like usually, usually they don't just throw people in, in billets. Um, so I'm like, okay, this is, this is looking good for me right now. Feeling good. I was, had, uh, I was on a line in camp with Jared Walker and Ted Vandermeer. Uh -huh. uh, you probably remember walks from back in the day. He was, was oh, he yeah. Chicago Blackhawks draft pick? Yep. I think he yes. got drafted twice actually. Okay. So yeah. I was playing with like walks and, and Vandermeer. These are good guys, but I was fitting right into the point where I had a great camp, like feeling good. I know I was looking good. There was a, there was a, a veteran who was had a shoulder, his own shoulder injury was watching the stands. And he told me after the fact, he's like, dude, I thought you were going to take my spot. So like I was feeling really good, but on the, on the night before our inter-squad game, there was an article in the Red Deer Advocate newspaper featuring, you know, our story, um, basically like, you know, telling what I'm doing there, telling about Todd's story, he's back home and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end of the article, there was a quote from Brent Sutter saying like, you know, Wade's this, Wade's a super hardworking kid. He's got a grind. He's got, he's an up and down guy. He's got to battle his way we're going to see if he can fit into our team against the youngsters. And they had some, the rebels at that point had some like really high profile 16 year old youngsters. And they also had a guy named Derek Dorsett who went up, went on to play in the show. So I'm battling for spots against like Boston Bruin draft pick, Jordan Naxted and Derek Dorsett. And to the point where I was close, but at the end of that inter squad game, I was one of the red deers last cuts. So in Brent Sutter's office, shakes my hand. He's like, get a hell of a camp, but we're going to, we're going to have to let you go. Uh, he actually told me, he's like, you know, you might want to go try out for Kitchener in the OHL. Peter DeBoer was coaching the team at that time. And Sutter was buys with them because mm -hmm. two months later, they'd be coaching team Canada together for that, mm -hmm. that wild world junior tournament. Uh, but kind of a cool situation to get cut from Sutter. But on the inside, I was absolutely crushed. Like I was supposed to be making the red deer rebels, getting back in the Western league, playing for both me and my brother. And I was just, snipped and it was hockey, hockey heartbreak. Like you wouldn't believe. So I'm crushed at that point trying to figure out what to do. Todd's back in Winnipeg. We're still tied to Lloyd Minster. So, so at that point, Lloyd Minster thinks I'm coming back to camp. And in my head, I'm like, there's not a chance I'm going back to Lloyd because <laughs> I now at that point, I'm like, I got two years left in junior hockey, win a championship. I'm not going back to a mediocre team in the AJ at this point, you know, Todd's not even, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cal, Cal's doing the money thing. <laughs> yeah, showing the money fingers off. Exactly. <laughs> we we could talk off air about some of that stuff. But, uh, <laughs> um, so Lloyd's like, I, I talked to some guys in Lloyd, and I'm I'm just like, hey, um, you know, I I, I don't want to come back to you. I, I'm sorry. I knew there was teams in the BCHL that were looking to pick me up. 
Cam Barker was playing in medicine at the time. He was, he was uh, talking to their coach about getting me a tryout there, which was on the verge of happening. I was staying with Clark MacArthur's parents, Dean and Deborah, great people. Like, so I was, it was, and Dean, uh, he had a connection to medicine Hat as well. Cause Clark, his son was there and I was either going to go play for medicine hat or try to make that team or go to the BCHL. Uh, but eight, uh, Lloyd's like, you know, we're not going to trade you unless you report. So I make the drive across Alberta, go to Lloyd. Turns out they're throwing a, their home opening game. They're throwing a ceremonial face-off for Todd and they brought him in. So I, I felt like yeah. the biggest piece of garbage, <laughs> piece of asshole around. So Todd makes the drive up. I, the, the coach and Lloyd's like, okay, listen, we've traded you, but you have to play the first two season games with us. And I'm like, okay, that's strange. Like I'm no longer on the team, but I got to play for you. Like, it's just an odd thing. <laughs> do I have to try or what yeah. kind of visor do I get? <laughs> yeah, give me a clean visor. <laughs> uh, and the, the odd part is the guy, it was a three-way deal between Vernon and BC, Powell River and BC and, and Lloyd. And the guy that got, the guy that came for me was coming from Powell River to the AJ. And he was like, we played on the, in, a, in a game together and he was, no. he was so rattled. I could see like the death stare <laughs> across the dressing room. Like, fuck you, buddy. Like you're <laughs> um, anyway, that, that game we played in Bonneville the first night. I ended up getting in a tilt against a, a guy that I, I didn't really like at all. He was a former teammate. Next game, the same guy that I fought runs one of our guys from behind. So I shed my mitts, fight him. The fight goes down. The linesmen are starting to skate us both to the penalty box and like 20 feet from the box, they just let us go. And they went back to the other fight. So I'm looking around. I'm like, I'm already traded. It's my last game in front of the home fans. Dad and Todd are in the crowd. Like they came 11 hours from Winnipeg to Lloyd. I'm going to give them a little bit of a show. So I look over the guy's there and he looks at me. I'm like, I came after it again, second fight. So I got something ridiculous, like 61 penalty minutes in one play. Two instigators, two fights, two, nice. ad, uh, two, whatever it was, uh, aggressors, a bunch of misconducts oh, skate off the ice at Lloyd. And that was my last shift there. And, um, at that point, you know, was ready to go to Vernon, BC, uh, oh, that's huge. star new junior, junior path. Sounds like the uh, birth of Trojan boy. When he, when he snapped back there, Cal, very similar, very similar. Yeah. <laughs> 61 though. That's, that's tough to beat. I don't know. I, I don't think I got quite there. <laughs> I, I, I want to, I'm trying to calculate my head. I know 61 is an insane number, but I think the league, they were trying to really like crank or uh, clamp down on, on those types of events happening. So there was a lot of extra misconducts thrown in there, but I'm pretty sure if you, if you found an old AJHL record book, you might find my name there somewhere and not for a stat that you'd necessarily be really proud of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I, I'm just, I have hockey DB up here. I'm just curious. Uh, this is a little bit of a side note, but uh, it was, were tens, were you getting, you're getting tens at the time or when you're having 200 pims in a year, are you fighting or are you getting just tens? No, there's definitely a lot of fights there. Okay. And okay. I, I think the tens were only, they were special occasion, like well-deserved tens, like fighting in the last five minutes of the game, mm. or if you're an instigator, whatever it was, but yeah, that, that was, I have a few, few pims in that season. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Uh, continue. <laughs> so, so you may continue point, you are clearly tough we will continue listening to you <laughs> so, so i i get ejected from the game it's like into the second period i go meet todd in the crowd and we're just watching from the sideline and the, you know we had our like one of the newspaper reporters was there tv reporters there like hey what are you doing why do you have your bag with you I'm like well i got traded and just you know 
I'm like, it's time for me to move on. So we had our, I had my little exit interview coach blamed the loss on me. Of course. Um, I respectfully disagree. You know, you should be able to have a decent penalty kill. Um, but yeah, Todd and I were, there we were, he's, he went through his first round of chemo. We're standing side by side and, you know, a few weeks after our goodbye in Winnipeg, we're having a second goodbye on the border of Alberta and Saskatchewan, where he's going back to Winnipeg for a second round of cancer, uh, cancer treatments. And I'm going to Vernon, BC to play for what is, I think, still the most successful junior A franchise in, in Canadian hockey history and to play with a great team, championship team. And so it was, it was quite a, a parting at that point. Again, heavy hearts. I was super excited, but obviously, you know, nervous and worried about him and just kept going forward. So I went back to Vernon, played there with some great guys. Todd at that point was, had to go back to Winnipeg and that second treatment kicked the shit out of him. Like he had, there's a chapter in the book where I talk about how the first treatment, he had no idea what he was, what he was getting into. He was getting a lot of support. Like Mario Lemieux called him during his treatments and, you know, they had a really good chat, heart to heart chat on Lemieux uh, told him his his cancer treatment story. And oh, that's awesome. yeah, Todd was in great spirits at that point. He's like, yeah, this is, this is just a road bump. I got to get over as soon as I finish my treatments, I'm going to be back to playing hockey. That's just kind of how he was mm-hmm. not quite. So he gets hammered with treatments. And then finally uh, in December after chemo is done, he has to go to Toronto to do his radiation there. That was the next stage of it. And at that point in his mind, he's just like, I'm getting back in the AJ as quickly as, as quick as I can. So my parents, he'd get up in the morning, he'd go down to the hospital, he'd punch his card, he'd do his 15, 20 minutes of radiation, come back to the hotel, you know, chill, watch movies. But then he was also working out and they were staying at a, a hotel in downtown Toronto, the Delta Chelsea, 27 stories. And he was running those stairs, 27 stories of stairs, three times a day. Wow. He's trying to get his game, game legs back and get back in shape, working out in a hotel gym and grinding. And then, you know, serendipitously, he gets a call to the blue one day from Shane Corson. And this is during the 2000 all-time, all-time legend, Shane Corson. Absolute yep. beaut. Yeah, absolutely. Many hockey night in Canada, Saturday nights watching Corson, that white Leafs Jersey, just such a, such a legend. Oh, but legend. So, so Todd gets, gets this invite to skate with a bunch of the Leafs that were there during the lockout season including one of my all-time favorite, one of Todd's all-time favorite players, Darcy Tucker, absolute legend. Oh yeah. Igor Ulanov and a few other boys were there. So radiation treatments in the morning, running stairs throughout the day. And then he found his way to, you know, be scrimmaging with NHL players throughout, throughout those days, which was wild. So he's not playing junior hockey in Western Canada or in the AJ with, you know, 16 to 20 year olds. He's playing with absolute NHL legends. And, you know, do this thing there. Oh, it's unbelievable, dude. And just, just to kind of jump in there, like, and, and this is just a thought that's kind of coming to me now. I mean, you hear a lot these days about hockey culture now. Hockey culture needs to change. And of course, there's some really, really bad, dark stuff that is absolute bullshit. needs to get weeded out. But I will say overall, I feel like hockey culture's caught a, a really, really bad rap in recent years. And you hear stories like this, like the hockey community hearing about a kid like your brother and you got one of the best players to ever lace him up, Mario Lemieux, reaching out on his own time to have a conversation. You got Toronto Maple Leafs saying, hey, kid, come have a skate. Let us welcome you in. Like, you're part of this fraternity, right? So I just think that's so powerful, too. And it's such a really cool way to remember that there's so much good in the game as well. Uh, I just thought that was really cool. No, yeah. It's, a, it's crazy how far-reaching just kind of like a, like news like that just 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 spreads, you know? It's it's kind of crazy just to hear like a phone call from me or, or someone from Toronto. It's kind of like 
calling him up and just like, Hey, get out here. Let's, uh, let's have this, let's have a bit of a skate. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a little point in the book where the hockey community is unbelievable. If you, if you look at these guys, the way they live their personal lives, they're the guys going to the hospitals, visiting kids. They are volunteering their time to whatever charity events need to be, are, are going on in their local communities. A situation like this comes up, they're reaching out, personal cell phone numbers are given like that is absolutely wild. And it's, he was surrounded by love by some of the guys that are legends of the game. So, you know, it's hockey really is a special world and special community. And, and it was, it was unbelievable that they surrounded him like that because really, uh, that call, Mario could have easily been on the golf course or wherever else, just like, you know, he could have easily not made that call. Little did Mario know how much that call meant Todd and how much energy Perfect. that yeah. gave him. Mm-hmm. You know, so the little, the subchapter of the book is called Super Mario's Boost, where it's like Mario yeah. boosted him up through some of the toughest times of his life and gave him so much more than Todd or, or so much more than any of us would ever expect or, or think could happen. So you're absolutely right. You nailed it there. Uh, switching gears from that, that seriousness of, of how good the hockey guys are. And a mm-hmm. funny little note when Todd skate with Tr- the Toronto boys, uh, I guess after the skate one time, my, my mom's there, you know, picking him up, whatever. Cause he couldn't really drive himself at that or he didn't have a car. Mom's picking him up and Todd comes over to mom and she's like, Hey, you get a couple of bucks in your pocket. She's like, <laughs> why? He's like, Darcy Tucker needs a drink from the vending machine. Doesn't have any cash on him. <laughs> so she's That's like, yeah, awesome. she pulls out like a toonie or a couple of looties or whatever to give to Darcy Tucker to buy a little lemonade. So they, they have a picture together. I have in the book, you can see uh, side by side, Tucker and Todd and Darcy Tucker's got his like his vending machine drink that Todd threw him a couple bucks for, which is That's funny. awesome. That's sick. That's sick. That is good. Yeah, man. So uh, at that point he's training. This is like, January of 2005 and mm-hmm. his future still very much uncertain. He ends up making like one of the most low key all-time comebacks of all time to, he ended up getting called up or going back to Lloyd Minster and the AJ to play a few games when he, at, you know, at the end of that, the radiation treatments. And wow, he went back crazy. there. He went back there. Not only did he like, first of all, this is, this is almost, it was almost too cruel that the situation almost didn't happen. At that point, Lloyd Minster was out of player cards. They were totally tapped, signed them all away. They were maxed out. He had to sign out with a junior B team and you know, play a few games from them and then be lent up to the mm. Blazers and the AJ. So mm. after that red tape uh, was got through, Todd joins the Blazers again for a few games. And it's not like he was this, you know, it wasn't like it was like, hey, yeah, we got this cancer kid coming to play. It's like, no, he was like second, first line right off the bat and one of their very, very best players hmm. in that league. He's he scored 17 at this time, right? Like he's, this is, he's just such a, he, like the word is a kid. You know what I mean? Like he's a kid, but think of what he's endured at this point. Like it's insane. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, he was, at, the, at this point, he was now uh, just 18, like a fresh 18. Okay. 18, fresh yeah. 18. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, you're absolutely right. Just a kid trying to play hockey and, and it's, you know, it was wild. Um, but at that point, the doctors are like, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll let you go back and play, but just expect a call from us that you might have to come back. So he goes back to Lloyd, plays a few games, scores some goals. And all the boys in the team are so pumped. They're like having Todd back is just electric. Like he just fired them back up and they, they weren't a great team at that point, but you know, at least with him back, they really started to fire it up, um, and have some good games. But I remember his, the doctors called, they said, Hey, not only can you not play anymore, we have to 
have a perform a major surgery on your shoulder where you're going to lose a massive part of your shoulder and the, and your back scapula and you're, you're going to lose a lot of a little bit of your arm um so he was he went from playing making this crazy comeback playing high level junior hockey to being told you have one game left and you know then you got to fly to toronto and have a major, major operation but that last game was absolutely insane it was in fort mcmurray alberta which may be one of the best venues for a last game to be played in junior a hockey. And it was, I, I got, I was in Vernon. I got flown out to Fort Mac. My mom was in Winnipeg. She got flown up to Fort Mac. Dad was working as a firefighter in Winnipeg. By that point, no holiday time. They burnt it all up. Tens of thousands of dollars were spent on treatment and flights from Fort Mac or Winnipeg to Fort Mac in the dead of winter were it's crazy expensive. So it was one of those last minute things we came together, but we watched Todd's last game and it was one of the most emotional things I've ever gone through seeing him shift after shift, step on the ice and like give it absolutely everything you could possibly be give to your game, knowing that this is literally it. I will never be playing competitive hockey ever again. And it was one of the most inspiring, awesome things I've ever seen in my entire life. So it was so powerful to see him. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating when I say this at the end of the game, like if, if I, a scout was there watching it, and they would have for sure seen him play and would have been like, this guy's like, he's going on end to end rushes. He's dangling. He's the hardest working player. He's for sure. Lloyd's best player. They would have been absolutely blown away by the fact that he had cancer and that would be his last game. He'd never play again. So it was just, it was such a wild, powerful event seeing him in that last game. And that, that was a big, a big impetus for me naming the book, his last shift, because it was like the way I saw him play was absolutely incredible. And if, you know, like I said, if we all knew, that we may not get one more shift. How hard would we play with the one we have right now? Hmm. God damn. That's, uh, that, I honestly, and and this is, I think hopefully like doing justice to the work you put into the book is like, I honestly already kind of feel like I know Todd just by hearing these stories. Mm -hmm. And I'm certain that when I get the opportunity, I mean, you, you were kind enough to grant some early access where I was able to go through some of the book. Um, you, you know, you'd email the copy over, which was amazing. Um, when I, when I get to pick that book up and actually go and read through, I'm certainly going to come away really feeling a deeper connection there. I think you're such a, a gifted storyteller. Um, really just, this is me now talking to the listeners, like you're a Canadian kid. You love hockey. You love good stories. You love good storytelling. Um, do yourself a favor and pick this thing up. Like, I, I feel like we're just kind of scratching the surface here. We're hearing some great stories. Um, but all that way, just to say, I mean, I think you're doing just a great job um, celebrating what sounds like just an amazing, uh, amazing life and uh, hockey career as well. Really appreciate that. But that's uh, it's, I, it's these types of stories where you're absolutely right. I feel like there's, we're just scratching the surface here where I, there's so much more there. Like those are some of the bigger ones in terms of his comeback and what he went through, but like the way this person lived their life. And th- this is the, this is one of the big reasons why I wanted to write it is now you're hearing that's kind of the end of his hockey career as a player, mm-hmm. but the next step of his life, the next stage as just a person away from the game, a coach, and then someone who ended up going down and started an incredible foundation. It's, it's the way he lived his life off the ice. It, you know, the way he was in any given room, lighting up the room, whether it was like a young kid or an elderly person, how he'd give everyone time. And it was just this incredible charge being who was, you know, just, I was honored, literally honored to be his brother. And there was too much there that I saw to be left in a 700 word obituary 
and call it a day. Like his story needed to be told. So, you know, beyond hockey, there's still so much more. And that's where I think the really special part of his life really takes over when he started to realize like, you know, without hockey, what can I be in this world? And what is this life all about? What am I supposed to be doing here? And that's when he really amped up his game because it was like, Next level. Yeah. Next level stuff. Like not only is he not playing his or not, you know, after, after he played his last shift, it's like, now it's like, well, when's my last day going to be, you know? So you can imagine the intensity of playing that last game. Now it's like, am I going to have tomorrow towards the end? That's how, that's how intense it got. Um, you so this, like this strength, like how, and the question is like, how do you do that? You know what I mean? But yeah, I mean, like you said, it's, you, you probably, it, to describe it wouldn't be just like, he just lived it. You know what I mean? Like you said, like every day he just, he continued to live, right. Not, not just wait and stand idle. Like it was just life, right. Like he just breathed life, which is, I, I don't even know. My head is just, I'm just, Yeah in awe of his strength right like it's amazing honestly right so so years after he passed i didn't even know he would have this but he had like this quote book this orange media coil brown quote book where he was writing down like quotes from different passages of books he liked or quotes from different speakers or authors and i saw the stuff that he was reading and it was absolutely incredible next level stuff this is the stuff that was like this gave him fuel of you know knowing that knowing that this life is a mystery, knowing that I am here for a limited time and that I, and tomorrow is not guaranteed. How can, what can I do to live an empowered life? And that was the big thing is like, he found a way as his body is, you know, getting shredded apart as, as his body's crumbling down, he found a way to dig deep and live such an empowered life that was mainly based in finding a way to serve others somehow and create more love and create more joy. And literally as cliche as it sounds, leave the world a better place, you know, before he's leaving, this was, this is what he was all about. So that was a huge um, reason why he he had this drive to do something to help others. And that was a huge reason why he started, started to believe in the goal, which was his foundation that he created um, to support young adolescents and kids that were going through cancer treatments and helping these young kids be more comfortable in the hospital, helping their parents be more comfortable while they're sleeping overnight in the hospital rooms, giving the, these kids entertainment rooms and, and having like the best playstations and TVs around, set, sending them on NHL dream trips and all these types of things. Cause he, cause he wanted to help people somehow. So I'm um, through that. He started believing the goal and, and Cal, I'm sure you're aware of, you, did you come to some believe in the goal events back in the day? Oh, I love that little mosquito, man. <laughs> Best logo. I loved it. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, of course I came to some of those. I think I, I did come to the last event at the MTS as well. Um, but yeah, again, the the star-studded cast and like you said, just this hockey community rallying around um, the foundation, the goal truly even beyond uh, Todd's life was just remarkable for sure. Absolutely. And and like, so to give the listeners some, some context of what Believe in the Goal was, it was a foundation like i said the the reason or um the purpose of it but the main event was a charity nhl all-star game or charity all-star game that was loaded with nhlers and these weren't just like you know some communities or some cities you might get like the odd guy who won a cup like 30 years ago this was wasn't cal wild you know what i mean this was guys (laughs) tebow and danny rolling it yeah exactly (laughs) these were boys like jonathan taves travis sajak mike richards I've heard of a couple of them. Yeah. Orzy, Jordan Tutu, Dazi, uh, you know, 
Tyler Arneson, and these guys were just the first year. As the foundation was going on, it just got even more insane where they brought on like Cody Eakin, Mike Keene, Colin Wilson, Ryan Reeves, Darren Helm. Like every, basically any, every NHLer who was based out of Winnipeg or around wanted to play in these games. And they put on some amazing shows. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah. The big event was, uh, so Todd put on the first event in 2006. He ended up passing in December, uh, 2006. Um, but after he lived or after he passed away, the foundation continued on for a few more years and it got so big to the point where one year in August, we sold out the lower bowl of the MTS center. Now I think it's, it's a renamed Canada life center or something like that, but 5,000 fans, the entire lower, lower bowl sold out, uh, you know, just a beautiful event. It was the city rallied around it. There's a major radio host that came on board and they raised something over the course of five years. They raised like over $300,000 for, which is, doesn't seem like a lot of money, but in $300,000 can do a lot of work for good in individual people's lives, which is exactly what happened. And it's just a fabulous foundation that was, that, you know, really brought the Winnipeg hockey community together. And again, shows the generosity and the good hearted nature of all these hockey boys that just wanted to support Todd, carry on his legacy and help other people in some way through the game of hockey. No, yeah. $300,000 doesn't sound like too much money. Cause we're talking about like big, big amounts, but $300,000 coming out of an idea that Todd had, oh, yeah. that's huge, right? That's not, yeah. that's not just a drop in the uh, in a bucket there. That's just, that's massive. So no, that's, uh, that's, that's amazing. I, one thing I'm just wondering is like, um, when he first has had his inklings of an idea about doing this, like what was, what was that to you? Like, was he coming to you saying, Hey, I got this idea or like, how, how did that all come about? Yeah. So that was, uh, he, he was going to, like I said, he was going to a lot of, um, speaking events and reading a lot of books. And he went to one particular event. He was really interested in and enthralled with Lance Armstrong. And I was telling the boys, this is pre, you know, the pre-steroid debacle, Lance Armstrong. This is live it's, strong. It's the good Lance, the good yeah, Lance. Right. Yeah. Hey, yeah. The yellow band Lance. <laughs> hey, he stay. You know what? Steroids or whatever. He still, he still got on the fucking bike and did his thing. Okay. I Absolutely. support that guy. Absolutely. I support the guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Same do I. I if, you heard the, if you heard him on Rogan, he really tells a story in, in an interesting perspective. Lot, so much respect for that guy. And really, you know, the live strong foundation has raised what, like billions of dollars mm-hmm. for yeah. cancer research. So as much as they might want to bash that guy, unbelievable initiative that has created so much uh, money in, in a, such a great cause. But mm-hmm. Todd went out to Vancouver to see Lance speak at this event and he came back and he was so fired up and he was so inspired. And he's like, you know, Lance says you can either, you can either do nothing or you can do something. That was, it was as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And he could either be a cancer patient and just wait out his, his life and, you know, go through the treatments and see what happens with himself, or he could really step it up and try to do something to help others, you know, help, help start making a dent into, into the pain that people are going through. And also just like, you know, work towards a cure eventually. That's what we're going for here. So um, he was so fired up. He came back and he talked to one of his all-time favorite trainers, who eventually went on to become the Vancouver skill coach. His name is Glenn Carnegie. Now he's working for the rink in Kelowna, unreal skill guy. You mentioned the Sedines earlier. He was, he'd literally be the skill guy on the ice with the Sedines working through, uh-huh. through skill, skill drills. But nice. Todd comes back from the Lance event and he's like talking with Glenn, their buddies. And he's like, man, I want to do something. Like we got to do something. What can we do? And between the two of them talking about, it, they're like, let's do a charity all-star game. And they started firing up and, you know, Glenn had a ton of connections, taught him a ton of connections. And I talked to Glenn after, and he's like, yeah, you know, we talked about that. Most people 
have those types of ideas and they just don't act on it. It's, it's a good idea. It's cool in thought. They put themselves in that, in that scenario for a few minutes. And it's like, ah, my, my, my life is too busy. I'm too, you know, I'm already too tired, whatever else, but Todd just took it and ran with it. Created amazing, amazing logos, Cal, the spirit animal, Manitoba, the mosquito. Well, and they yeah. created, yeah, they created the sizzling summer showdown event, which is the charity game. And, um, they, they really just put everything they had in it. So that first event, it was going to be held at the, at the start of August. The ice was not in the big rinks at that point. My aunt from, she lives in St. Andrews, Manitoba, just outside Winnipeg. She had to like, she was calling the Selkirk rink. Selkirk's kind of this like legendary junior rink about, I think it's like 30 that's minutes or so. beat me up guys. <laughs> oh, that, <laughs> that's from, that's from my grandmother's from Selkirk, Manitoba. So there yeah. you go. Special yeah. place for all the that's right. I got Selkirk <laughs> tattooed over my heart. I don't really, but maybe one day. Yeah. So, so they end up pulling the strings with the Selkirk ice guy. Um, my, I guess my auntie Donna makes the call and she's like, Hey, we're having this big event. Can you make this? Can you get the ice in? The guy's like, Nope, Nope. We're not putting it in for another month. Forget about it. She jumps over that guy to his supervisor turns out that guy's son was also going through cancer treatments at the same time. And he's like, you know what? We're putting the ice in a month early. This event's going to happen. So through those types of things, like the community just rallied so hard and so fast and all the NHL awesome. boys and the HL boys and junior boys were like, yep, we're in, we're doing it. And they just brought it all together in a really, really nice package and put on a great show for the fans. That's so cool, man. It's just great to see the rallying and, and, you know, we were lucky enough to connect yesterday. We had sort of a pre-chat before jumping on today. Um, and, and you mentioned, I just want to sort of throw this out there for everyone listening to like, just, I think the impact that this book is going to have in the hockey community. I mean, some of the connections you're reaching back out to, um, you know, I don't want to, you know, paraphrase or speak for you, but you are naming some of the folks you're connecting with and flying out to LA to meet like some, some big name guys and like put books in their hands. And these are folks who are like, they're like, yeah, of course, get out here. Like, I need to help out with this project. I think we're all going to be hearing a lot about this book. Um, it is pretty well my uh, my main takeaway here. And do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like what your what your plans are going forward? It seems like you're going to be a busy man. I don't know why uh, you chose us as the first stop on your media <laughs> tour, but I really do thank you for it. But uh, yeah, what, what, is, <laughs> what does the uh, what does the next few weeks and months look like oh. for you as you as you get this thing going? Well, first off, um, just put the hat in the mail. Really appreciate the logo. And I will, I will rock that for you boys, but I'll um, send one, one to San Diego, one to Florida. I listen. I'll send, I know where they're going. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I got some, the books, like I said, it's launching. It's the launch is just under two weeks away. So I'm, there's all, obviously these days, social media is so huge and, you know, most people don't read books anymore. I feel like, and it's, it's tough to get people interested in things, you know, like, of course, people just flick on Netflix. They watch their shows. They like their sports teams. They're kind of create their own, their own little worlds. So I knew it's going to be, I know it's going to be a tough thing to get awareness about the book out, but I really do feel like once people get the book in their hands and read the stories and are just what, once they get a sense for what this life was all about. And by the way, we've kind of just hit on the hockey stuff. The, the, the the nature of him living his life towards his last day was absolutely incredible and, and those stories are they're loaded in there so um my main mission at this point is just try to get people aware that one the book's written two i think it's you know i, I like to say it's well written i hope it's well written i i've gotten some great feedback on some of the some of the boys i've shared it with um including some whether guys are former nhlers or guys that were have nothing to do with hockey i've gotten really positive feedback which has been really encouraging but just trying to get people to, you know, take a chance on if they're going to read a book, check this one out. And I really hope it 
finds a way to make them feel something. And the, the feedback I'm getting is this book is making people laugh. It's making them cry. It's making them appreciate their life. And also um, doing all those things while be, entertaining them through great stories and that are either you know, outlined through the hockey world or beyond that, which is what I'm more excited about. Yeah. I think to add on to that, just how you said, and you know, for anybody listening, it's not one where you need to, you're well, hopefully you, hopefully you're invested from one page word one to 94,000. But if you, you know, want to read 10 pages a night, like the wellness challenge or whatever, you're, you're, there's going to be a story there for you and you can put it down, put it aside, do what else is going on and then pick it up, you know, a couple of days later, a week later and, and jump right back in with that kind of ease, I guess you can say. Yeah, absolutely. And I I broke it up into really small chapters and subsections. So it is really simple. And it's kind of like, you know, last thing you want to do is read a 30 page chapter. It's just, you know, these are, these are good tight stories that you can, you can take in 10 minutes or you can, you know, turn the page over and over again. And my main mission with this book was how can I get the reader to turn the page and read one more word, one more page. And, um, I think it, I think I got a page turn. I hope I really do. So that's, that's, oh, where that's we're awesome, at right now. dude. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, that's big. That is. So you got, you got three readers right here, pal. And like, you know, like, like we've been saying from the get go, like we're, we're just kind of a small hill right now, but um, we'll, we'll jump right to the top of it and, and do everything we can to help you get this out in front of as many people as possible. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to take too, too much more of your time, but uh, how would you like to kind of like, finishing thoughts, closing thoughts. Uh, we'd love to hear from you on that. And I mean, we haven't forced you to talk enough yet. So uh, we <laughs> just kind of how you, how you'd like to, how you'd like to sort of round off or finishing thoughts all yours, man. Oh man. So I, I will say this. Um, one thing I've seen in the last few years, especially is that, especially with our young kids and the young athletes is that they've had some tough years. Everyone's been beat down. Everyone's been, you know, really, there's a lot of hopelessness going around the world right now. There's a lot of, depression and anxiety and people are really wondering what is, what am I going to do to get this, this passion for life back in in my life and back in my family's life? And how can I, how can we switch up the vibe of what's happening right now? And that is really the mission of this book is to just impart that frequency onto the reader. So they are now inspired to one, live a little bit of a better life in in whatever way they can, however small those changes are. And then create, you know, help send out those waves and ripples of healing and love to their community, to their family, to everyone around to really help create a better world. And I think we are at a point right now where if we all as individuals take that mindset, take that attitude of, Hey, I'm responsible for my actions, my thoughts, my daily life, and I can do my best to live my life, how I want to live it on what could be my last day, then I think we have a chance of, you know, turning the ship around and, and cherishing and really celebrating this life while we still have it and while we're still healthy and, or, or whether you, you know, whether, while you still have a chance to do so. Hmm. That's beautiful, man. It is. It's honestly beautiful. Um, What I'll say is this, and, and, you know, we, we, we're the no flamingo hockey team podcast we, we refer to ourselves as the no flamingo hockey family and so when someone comes on the show they're a member of the family uh you definitely are and absolutely uh that goes for your brother todd as well he's a member of the family and uh it was just such an honor to have you on dude and really mean that from the bottom of our bottom of my heart i'll speak for myself um that's how i wanted to sort of close out and i'll throw it over to cal uh all your stuff yeah i, I mean <laughs> 
the story of Todd, like it's bigger than just him as a hockey player. You know what I mean? And, and you've done such a good job articulating that. And, you know, I, I'm haven't read more than 50 pages in the book and I'm excited to continue to dive in. And uh, it's one of those things that I'm going to continue to, to share. Um, but again, I, th- I think what you were just alluding to, it's contagious. You know what I mean? Like, the, like that mindset, that inspiration, that, uh, that strength is very contagious. And, uh, <laughs> you know, even going back to you and me being stallies at school, like, it was just a joy to, you know, come to the, come to the rink, no matter what happened throughout the day and just, you know, kind of get that vibe in check, you know what I mean? And just kind of ground you. And, uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, this, like you said, the world needs, the world needs this, you know, th- this book is, is one of those other avenues and, and, uh, yeah, I, I, as everybody knows, I continue to ramble, but I'm just, <laughs> you know, inspired. I'm so truly inspired, man. And, uh, yeah, you've done, you've done a great, you, fabulous job and like you said a complete passion project man i'm interested to know and we've like we said we've taken up a lot of time but like when your first word went down on paper yeah i was actually interested in that too Mm -hmm. okay so uh i started writing this thing in my head maybe around 2009 2010 the first word went on paper when i was in law school at university of north dakota around 2013 2014 and I had this 32 page, you know, just a dope, it's a paper notebook, it was pen and paper. And one day I, you know, I had some time off from school and I wrote down the Moose Jaw line brawl story where Todd got pumped, where I jumped the bench, mom was in the crowd. And that story was all about how, you know, mom came down with this, our six week old new puppy, Todd gets pumped. We're out there and, you know, he's leaking blood and he picks up this like innocent puppy dog holding it close to his chest. And it was such an incredible vision for me to Image. see. Yeah. Mm. So that was the first story that went down on, on paper. And I could, in those early days, I could maybe write like a few paragraphs or a page or two. And I was absolutely emotionally tapped. Like everything I had needs to be channeled into that session. And at the end of it, I, I put that away for like a month or two months and maybe come back to it a little later on. I had some ideas of the stories I wanted to tell. Um, so I just started chipping away at it whenever I had some time you know, grabbed some paper. I looked back, I found my old notebook. I'm going to make a video uh, for, for social here in the next couple of weeks. And I, I found my original notes, like literally just mm. tiny business, you know, like the, the advertising p- businesses give you notepads and stuff like that. I'd find like dozens of notes just scrambled with scratches on ideas scratched on it. And I just started putting that together. And then of course, when um, the iPhone came out, that notes, the note, the notes section there, the app, I would be just peppering that. So any idea I've had, I'd be driving and an idea would pop in or a story would pop in. I just start hammering notes on the phone. So by the end of it, I think right now I probably have some around 400 separate notes and different stories. And then it was now I have all these stories. I've all these great thoughts. How can I put them together? And that was the real challenge of writing this thing is, you know, anyone can write a book, but if you're going to write a book that people are going to read, that's a different story. And, and that's where I really want to focus on how can I tell, how can I do Todd's life justice in a way that um, is, it's going to be a good read as well. So it started around 2014. After I got through law school, I started practicing law. And it was tough to, it was really tough to dedicate time to actually writing the book, but every few Saturdays I'd, I'd write a few paragraphs or a few pages. And then when I, uh, my wife and I moved down to San Diego in 2018 and I was a Canadian citizen applying for my green card and I legally could not work. I resigned from my law firm in Bismarck for 
for that time period. And I couldn't legally work. So I had a period of months where it was like time to write the book, man. Mm-hmm. So all those old notes that I compiled, I, I put them all together. It was like a 5,000 uh, or sorry, a 5,000 word document at that point. And I, every single day I got up and like three, four, five hours sat and just wrote and wrote and wrote. And it just became my job, my mission of like, this is, this is now what I'm going to do. I'm going to find a way to put this together. So at the end of um, several months of that, the fall of 2018, early 2019, I had my first draft, which was just a massive, you know, hundred, it was like 400 pages, 130,000 words or something crazy like that, like way too much, but it was, that was the start of something. And, you know, I was pretty pumped. I thought it was one of those things, like I mentioned earlier, where you just, Oh yeah, I'm going to write a book and here it is. And I'm going to do it. And, and it was like, that was the start of the real work was when I had that massive tomb of, of, um, words there. So over the last few years in the back of my mind, beyond work, beyond anything else, it was always like, write the book, write the book. I mean, my parents would call me, Hey, what are you doing? I'm working the book. And, I'm so, like I said, I'm so relieved that this moment has finally come yeah. where I can, it's, it's a real book. You know, I have, mm-hmm. an, I have an acknowledgement in the book to my wife because every day she'd see me. Like, imagine waking up and seeing your husband who's like sitting on the couch, sweatpants, you know, probably worn the day before or whatever else, <laughs> just like staring at the computer in a zone. And, you know, she'd ask me what I'm doing. I'm like, I'm writing. And she had a lot of patience there with me, but finally I can say to her here, you know, this is, this is what I was working on. This is what I was writing. And it's finally ready to, to be shared with the world. So that's where we're at boys. No, that's, that's big. My wife sees me in the, in my sweatpants on the couch every day, just like you did, but I was not writing a book. That's for sure. <laughs> so, yeah. You were, you were pre COVID cool, dude. You're doing it before we all had to. That's great. <laughs> uh, that's say doing it podcasting boys end on a COVID joke. That's always the way to do it. Um, yeah, I think that, I think that's a great place to wrap unless anybody had anything else they wanted to, uh, to get out while we, uh, while we've got Wade here. No, yeah, I just did. I did want to say, cause you guys got a chance to just mention, but I do appreciate you sharing the stories, uh, about Todd and a lot of it was hockey centric because we are a hockey centric podcast, but it does sound like coming out of this. I just know, I know, and I feel like I've known this guy my whole life and I can't wait to kind of read through the stories just to get, it'll be like picking up a book and just listening and reading about a, a close friend. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait to, to go through that, but yeah, really appreciate you coming on here. And like, just the, the, like the one key note that I got out of this was that Todd never let anything beat him. Like you were talking just about hockey. Like he was just like toe to toe with Crosby, anything that came up in his way, he just never let it get over him. And uh, yeah, you right to the end. That's, that's amazing. So really appreciate you coming on telling us that. Well, fellas, I cannot thank you enough for being willing to support me with this. Have me on. You guys are absolute gems and you know, maybe down the road, we come on a few months, a few months or next year and do a little recap. But uh, thank you so much for being behind me on this. I can't thank you enough. Oh, absolutely. It's our pleasure, man. Like, yeah, season two, we'll have you back on. We can go even just deeper onto like, we didn't even get to hear about you being stallies with Cal and all his weird (laughs) shit that he was probably doing in the, in the dressing room and hearing about him on the ice. So we got a lot more, we can go uh, deep with you on for sure. We'll have you back. Um, But yeah, I think that'll, that'll do it for what we'll call a very special episode uh, of the no flamingo hockey podcast. And, and just to wrap it with one word, it was just very special. Uh, one more word. It was an absolute honor. So thank you uh, so much for joining us. Thank you, fellas. Really appreciate you. Thanks, Davey. Thanks, Wade.